In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Okay, have you ever had to make a dramatic change in your life or lifestyle? Hmm, yes, I think so, but I I want you to go first and tell us your story. (laughs) Oh, do you now? Yes, I do. (laughs) Okay, well, my drastic life change was after an airplane incident. I was injured and was unable to do my job, and it really was one of those... Because you were working as a flight attendant. And you wake up in the morning and you go, wow, I am not going to continue on what what my dream is. And what was yours? And that is kind of dramatic. Well, mine is, it, it actually... It, my, it was an identity crisis because my husband was a youth pastor for several years, very involved with teens, and I love that. And he, his job, his role got changed to becoming a senior pastor, which meant we had to work with adults. So I had to, I had to go be a big kids. girl. I had to be a big girl <laughs> and put my big girl panties on and deal with it. And I know that sounds really insignificant, but it was kind of a major life change for me. So. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Well, welcome to Girlfriend It, where we want to rally you to do the remarkable. This is Lisa and Patty, and today we have two special guests who have been in the news. They've been the subject of a documentary, and they definitely understand the power of love and transformation. Well, Violent Skinhead... Brian Widner's face, neck, and hands were covered with intimidating racist tattoos. Then he began a series of painful and extensive laser tattoo removal procedures, 25 treatments over the course of more than a year and a half. And I can't even fathom. Oh, and and we saw the video and we couldn't even watch it. I I can't even mm -hmm. fathom. But the tattoo removal was just the outward sign of an inward transformation. Erasing Hate is a film that presents a first-person look inside the dark world of a racist skinheads, yet offers hope in the story of one man's escape from a life of violence, addiction, and bigotry. Welcome, Brian and Julie, to Girlfriend at Radio this day. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? We are so glad to have you guys with us this day. Thank you for having us. Well, first of all, we appreciate your time and willingness to share your story of transformation with our listeners and with us. And we've been looking forward to spending this time with you. And we know there are so many layers to the story that we're not even going to be able to capture it um, in the next hour. But we're going to jump right in and just ask you to... Go with us back a little bit and share your journey towards this violent lifestyle of a skinhead. So can you just kind of share what took place and how you've led up to where you are right now? Well, how I became a skinhead, I was uh, 14 years old. And uh, I was kind of of a street kid. My 
Dad's only rule for me was call every couple weeks and let him know I was alive. So I just had free reign in the streets. And um, to impress an older relative, I who was also a skinhead at the time, I decided to become one and just basically fell into the wrong crowd, I guess. Um, so you were 14, <laughs> Brian? Yes, I was 14 years old. Where was your mom? Younger. My mom passed away uh, earlier that year, so she was not around, obviously. Yeah, so you were you were having to struggle with grieving, and now your dad's not around. So, like you said, you have free reign of the streets. And this other relative, it was he a role model to you? He was. He was very much a role model to me, actually. And uh, I really just was trying to impress him more than anything. And mm -hmm. hello. Is that Julie? Yeah. Hi, how are you? <laughs> well, Brian, you were just in the middle of saying um, when you were 14, um, what was the, you know, what, what's the first thing when you say, yeah, you know, I was a racist or I was a skinhead. Is it a club that you join? What, what takes place? Well, I didn't join any clubs until my later teenage years. Um, the whole racist thing, I grew up in a very uh, Mexican area of Albuquerque, and uh, it was really, really Mexican populated. And I got beat up a lot. I was uh, I was jumped a lot because I was white and beat up a lot, so I learned how to hate. And uh, but most of the time, I didn't, I didn't really know a lot about the politics or anything like that when it came to... Um, being a neo-Nazi, uh, being at the young age, I just wore swaths because only jacket just more to irritate people than anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is interesting how, just as human human beings, we so have a, a desire and longing just to belong somewhere, and that somebody would accept us, and we will go to great lengths, even you know, like you said, becoming a skinhead to find a group that accepts us and where we can belong and, and also a place that's an outlet for our emotions. And I'm sure, you know, any, any 14 year old, I mean, any person at any age, but especially a 14 year old, that's such a significant uh, time in life when you're trying to, to discover who you are, your emotions, your hormones are going crazy. And so you're very impressionable. So for you to be at that season, like you said, you're getting beat up. You're trying to, you've had extreme loss in your life. You're trying to discover who you are and you just latch on to somebody that's going to accept you and embrace you, even though, you know, it's not the right thing, but you don't know any, any different. So it, I, a lot of people out there, even listening, we're just we're in that place where we have kids, and you're you're trying to guide them to to be with the right influence, but it's really really hard. So you kind of morphed into that. It kind of sounds like not not even realizing all the consequences. That's pretty much exactly. I I had no idea what the consequences were. Uh, my choices. I mean, again, I was 14, so I knew everything. But again, I didn't know a day for darn thing. <laughs> right, right. Now you said your dad would just kind of call in. Obviously, he was grieving as well, you know, not having your his wife there and your your mom. Did you feel the, the love from your dad? Um, my dad, we've always had kind of a strange relationship. Um, I've never really felt love from him, per se, as a father-son should feel, I guess. I don't like, I really don't know how a father-son should love should feel, but, um, I mean, I didn't, I mean, the love that I show my son is completely different than the love that I receive, so... Um, yeah, he, he tried to be my friend, but we didn't have a whole lot in common, and I don't know, was, he tried, 
he really did. And I'm, how I'm did not he take that away from me. How was your dad, how was he responding to you as you started putting these tattoos on? Well, I got my first tattoo at 14. It was just a, the letters P and R up on my upper arm. And it wasn't, uh, he had tattoos from the Army from uh, back in the 60s. So when I got that, he didn't, he didn't like it per se, but he felt he couldn't really say anything other, other than being, otherwise he'd be a hypocrite. Right. So he didn't, um, he really didn't say much about it. <laughs> so what was PNR? What did that stand for? It, it stood for the rejected. It was um, off a Penelope Spears movie that was uh, released in the 80s called Suburbia. It was about a bunch of punk, it's a movie about a bunch of punk rockers who squat in a house, and um, the way they get to that house is by branding TR on them. And I thought that was cool, so I'm going to tattoo TR on me. So, yeah, you were already connecting with that that kind of lifestyle, even in watching the, a, a movie. And um, our producer wanted to know, it, do you not have to have parental consent to get a tattoo at 14? Well, yeah, you, you, have, you very much have to have parental consent, but um, you can go down the street to your buddy's house and, and ah. go pick in <laughs> ink and a needle. You know? I guess they don't if, need a if, signature. If there's a will, there's a way. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're 14, you get your first PNR tattooed, and then what starts happening where you just keep adding these tattoos? I mean, so many people, like Lisa was saying, you know, you can see as it, as, you know, when you're in your early teens, how you're just kind of just going along with whatever is put in front of you. But there has to be something motivating to you to go to that extreme, to go to that level of just to keep putting the, the tattoos on, especially as it gets onto your face. So what, what's transpiring here? The little tattoo thing, I, I always like tattoos. I still like tattoos. I mean, <laughs> I, don't yeah. have, I, don't, I, don't, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with them at all. I work in the tattoo industry. So. But I, uh, at the time, I thought tattoos were cool. So yeah. by the time I was about 6, 15, I ended up building a tattoo machine out of a Walkman and started vandalizing my left arm and all my friends and <laughs> yeah. doing horrible, horrible tattoos on people and myself. And by the time I was uh, 16, my whole left arm was covered. Wow. Well, well Brian, I, I want to ask you a question, too, because we're talking about transformation and, and going from basically hate to love, and you, you're living a totally different life with a totally different approach and a totally different heart than you were when you were uh, was 14, 16. And before we go into our commercial break in about a minute, can you just explain how, did you realize that you were kind of welling up inside with hate, that this emotion of hate was kind of transforming and taking off and motivating you? Could you identify that? I didn't realize it was motivating me, even though it was. I, um, I just embraced it. I mean, at the time it was, uh, again, I was living on the streets a lot. It was, it was pretty rough. I mean, I, it was a, you know, it was, it was get hard or die type of situation. So I, I utilized that emotion as a strength is what I did. It was almost a uh, survival instinct. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I didn't realize that it did change me, even though it did. I didn't realize it at the time that it could possibly change me. 
Well, so many times we, we don't even realize the changes that are happening inside of us. They just start morphing slowly. And before we know it, we've become a different person. And we don't even see the steps that has led in that direction because we're not objective with our own lives. And especially as a, as a kid at 14, 15, and 16, you're not really thinking deeply about that. You're just responding and you're just trying to survive, like you said. And your story, basically your teen sounds like a, a, a time of survival and just trying to find your identity and find your place, whatever that looked like, and it you didn't really, it didn't really matter what it looked like, just to find that identity, and that is that is so true for so many people, and even as parents listening to this today, start thinking about just the influence their children are in. Um, Brian, when we come back, we want to kind of start taking that a little bit more from 16 and uh, hear more about this transformation and just the reality of your life living in that culture with hate. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back with our special guests, Brian and Julie Widner. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. Hey moms, get ready for Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Living the Dream Mom is about the true realities of motherhood, the beauty and the rewards of watching your children grow. All these moms have something in common. They put their kids first. It's not about the kids all the time and the diapers and the bottles and the breastfeeding. It's about showcasing the mother in motherhood, real moms in the real world. You get it? Now that's what the show is about. So every week, let's get together and we'll share these great stories with you guys. And I hope by the end of the show, you'll be saying, you know what? That is my life. Nina gets it. And I can't hardly wait to see what she brings me next week. Don't miss the next Living the Dream Mom. It's real moms in the real world. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry on toginet.com. Limdale Link with host Holly Rand comes Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Linda Link is Lindell's first and only internet radio broadcast. Holly, tell us about it. It's really something from my heart that I want to be teamwork um, for the entire community to get the word out about everything that's going on here. We're talking to the entire community of Lindell. This is not limited to just businesses or just parents or just teachers. Simply to get the word out about your cause or your company, you must go to where the people are. And today, people are on the internet. Lindell Link. Lindell, Texas is a growing chain of of business, education, commerce, community. Together, Lindell Link can create one strong chain of communication. Check out LindaleLink.com and then check out Lindale Link, the radio show. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand. Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. 
Welcome back to Girlfriend at Radio. We are talking today about life transformation, and specifically, we're talking with Brian and Julie Widner, and they're talking about the transformation from hate to love and just the power of love. But we're talking right now, kind of going back in the early years of Brian's life and some of the things that led him to embrace the skinhead culture and live in that violent lifestyle. And Brian, again, we just want to thank you for taking the time, you and Julie, and joining us on the show and sharing your story that we know is going to be an inspiration to so many of our listeners um, as parents and even, you know, people just trying to decide what do I believe about certain things and where's the line that I draw. So as we continue talking your story, um, I when you hear the word skinhead and like white supremacist movement, I know a lot of um, image, imagery and emotions come to a lot of people's minds. But can you kind of um, unpe- unpeel that and let us know what that really looked like and what that looked like from your lens as you were entering that world at an early age around 15, 16? Well, uh, everything looked to me at the time. I was I was embracing it. I um, I started uh, as my later years. Weaned on, uh, in my later teen years, weaned on. I started spending more time in libraries, that I, as much time as I could anyway, that work would provide. But then start, and actually starting studying on, uh, like the history of the Third Reich and, and studied a lot of Nietzsche and, you know, libraries are a wonderful place. I love those places. <laughs> to learn anything there. But, um, yeah, I, I started doing just my own kind of studies on everything because at the time I really didn't understand what, uh, what it meant to be a Nazi or what Nazism what even was. I just knew it was a swastika and everyone got real upset when they saw one. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually did my own studies on it and uh, I actually started growing a respect for Adolf Hitler at that, at that time. Uh, I, the man took a third world country and basically turned it into a world superpower so he was doing something fairly impressive. And, you know, I, I, was, I, I was becoming enamored by him. And um, as, I, as I studied more and more of the history, I was... I was more and more impressed with him, and I didn't. I overlooked. I, I mean, as with anything, when you start getting enamored by things or actually start enjoying things, you overlook the negative aspects of it. You over. I was overlooking the fact that there was a genocide, which is a stupid thing to overlook. But mm-hmm. that was just. It was that. That was my mindset at the time. I was overlooking that he performed a genocide and killed millions of people, and it was, which is absolutely disgusting. But I was embracing it. And mm-hmm. from from the outlook at my perspective, I didn't see anything wrong with it. I thought that everybody else was crazy for not wanting to be able to be a part of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it is so interesting. I got to tell you, because I'm listening to this, and I just got back from Israel last week, and we actually went to the Holocaust Museum there in um, mm-hmm. Jerusalem and, you know, saw a whole other side of Adolf Hitler than what you're describing. And it is interesting how he was a very charismatic man and he did rally people to follow him. And that's what's scary is because a lot of the, a lot of people that are leading people down a path of destruction are very charismatic and very intriguing and can, can, are charming. And, but it's very deceptive. And it's interesting how Satan takes and twists things like that and makes them look um, appealing, which is what you're saying. You're, you're reading this going, he took a third world country and made it a mega power and how we can be so easily deceived and, and tainted in our view of that. But as you are embracing this new philosophy and embracing this personality and, and seeing this, what kind of changes are you experiencing? Are like, we're talking about this hate thing. Is it, is it, is it changing you? And even in your relationship with your dad or with people around you, what kind of changes are starting to develop within you? Oh, it completely destroyed 
destroyed my relationship with my family. Um, I, uh, I quit talking to them for right around 20 years, pretty much all of them. <laughs> you know, yeah. They completely destroyed my relationships with them. Um, wow. Yeah, I just completely, completely destroyed it. Um, I mean, I'm still, I, I've, I've re, you know, rekindled some relationships since I've gotten out and everything and realized that I was wrong. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, there's still some, uh, there's still some members that don't want to forgive me and I'm not going to make them. Yeah. I'm not going to try to make them. That's, that's their, mm-hmm. that's their choice. That's not mine. Um, yeah, it was, it, it changed me in a lot of ways. Uh, like I said, it changed my family out. It changed the way I looked at my family. And since I didn't have a family at that time, the, the skinheads became my family. The guys who were hanging out with became my surrogate family. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it it was it was very much um, very akin to a, a, a gang member, you know, a street kid gang member who is looking for some kind of companionship, some kind of kinship with somebody other than their, their own family because they can't find out their own family. So I, I found that with skinheads. I mean, if I if I would have joined a Latino gang, it probably would have been the same thing. It just happened to be with skinheads, you know. And I just ended up embracing that philosophy. Mm-hmm. Well, you went from the library, and you're doing your research, and, and then you're um, embracing this whole skinhead philosophy. From from my tainted perspective, I have a tendency to, to, to think, okay, when you have this much hate going on, and, and you're in a group, like you said, a gang, that the others have this much hate, did you feel that you guys had each other's back? I mean, is there a love there for this, this, you know, it's like, can you, cause I can't see beyond that. If there's that much hate, I would think you would have that lens on even Each your other. buddy next to it. Yeah. Next to you. Yeah, we, we definitely felt like we had each other's backs. Um, we definitely felt like we had each other's best interests at heart, or at least I felt that way. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, it turned out that the, some of the guys that, I know for all those years didn't have my best interest at heart, but I had their best interest at heart. Um, like I said, it was a surrogate family. It was it was just what it was, and um, yeah, we we definitely had each other's backs in the suit and everything. everything we did, um, we were like a family, a twisted, uh, dysfunctional family, but a family, <laughs> <laughs> which most of us are in a dysfunctional family. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and and. How are people starting to respond to you? And, and even you're losing the relationship with your biological family. Did that matter to you? Was, was this hate and this new philosophy and this new this new um, group that was becoming your family, was that pull so much stronger? Was it hard to let go when you're seeing kind of the disintegration of your biological family and those relationships? Did that create any tension or angst? Not really. Um I mean, my biological family—they really weren't there, um, especially when I needed them really the most. So the separation from them really didn't cause any kind of animosity or any kind of yeah. It didn't—it didn't hurt anything at all. In fact, the guys, the guys that I was actually embraced it. Um, you know, it was, but they, they really a lot of them. I, I try not to fault them. I really, I, I really try not to fault them. But I mean, at the time when I needed people the most, I had nobody. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it's it's just kind of one of those things, I guess. Well, it is interesting because, like we've said before, we all crave love and acceptance, and we'll go to great lengths to find that, even if it's dysfunctional love. It's disguised as hate. We want to we want to morph that and make that be our new identity of love. And um, but it's very destructive, and it's just so interesting because you. 
this is like an extreme case of going to the skinhead, but yet a lot of people can relate to that because it's so easy to get off that path when we're not getting our emotional needs met, maybe by our families or by people that supposedly love us. We will go look for it somewhere else. It's like somebody once said there's a chair that, you know, like that love fills that a parent or whatever. And if that parent leaves that chair empty, a child will fill that with somebody, um, whether it's, you know, a good influence or a bad influence, they will fill that chair. And that's what you did. You started filling that chair, that couch, <laughs> um, with a new family that you thought had your back, loved you. And yet it was a very destructive kind of love. So you're in this and you're a child trying to figure out who you are. You're becoming this new identity. How are people on the outside uh, relating to you? Um, society. Just... How was like society? People on the outside that weren't in your that weren't in your family, your new family. How were they responding to you when they would see you? Um, they were responding pretty negatively um, for the most part. I was a very negative person, so you reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, people outside, you know, just the average everyday world responded, I don't know, generally with contempt. I was, but I, I again, I've read that. I was, that was what I was, that was the aim I was going for. That's what I was hoping for. I was, I was, like I said, I was a very negative person. So I was trying to get people to respond to me okay. negatively, you know? Well, and, and as a person on the outside, when we uh, help us with even the mindset, so, you taking you for an example and somebody like us and we look at you and we go okay they just need to be loved so much they need to know that they're loved and they're cared for how does somebody on the outside relate to somebody because it's very intimidating and you see somebody full of hate and you don't really care how do how do you allow somebody to break in and maybe we'll talk about that more in the next in the next break kind of start talking about the transformation out because we're gonna take a break in just about a minute but the transformation how you started allowing love to come in, you allow somebody's other influence, what opened up your heart, because who you are now is radically different than who you were then. So how does somebody like us see somebody like that and start, what, what, how do you relate to them? It's, that's, that's, uh, it's a difficult question to answer. Um, I mean, my circumstances, at the, you know, at the time in my, uh, my little teens, Early twenties, I didn't want people to love me. I didn't want to be loved. I didn't. I wanted to be left alone. So I didn't let anybody close at all. And if anybody tried, I I completely resented them. And sometimes even got physically violent. I didn't let people get close at all. Um, how can how can you how can you uh, relate to people or find find a find something with them there? Um, it's like I said, it was. It really depends on them. Honest, to be completely honest, it really super depends on the person that is full of that hate. If they're just so sick to death of living that life, they're going to reach out and they're going to try to find something to love eventually. It, that's, that's just that's just what happens. When you, when you see so many atrocities, when you see so many just horrible, horrible things, eventually it changes the reader for the worse of the better. You either end up in prison for the rest of your life or you start making drastic changes within yourself. Mm-hmm. And, well... Brian, we just, um, once again, we're just in awe of unpeeling this whole story. And we are going to go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to ask you a little bit more about what takes place inside of the skinhead gang. So stay with us with Girlfriend It with Lisa and Patty. And we will be right back after this break. (laughs) 
This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. The Mary Beth Wells Hour is a talk radio show where we reach out, reach deep, and talk about topics of substance. We'll cover points of interest, such as World War II and the Holocaust, the Vietnam War, the planets and the oceans, skydiving, rock climbing, and much, much more. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as we delve into and discuss fascinating subjects. It's a program to pique your interest for sure. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome back. We are talking today about erasing hate, and we are speaking with Brian and Julie Widner. Um, Brian, you used to be a violent skinhead. And one of our questions that I'm just dying to ask you, uh, and maybe you can't even answer this on the radio, but what exactly does it mean to be a skinhead, and especially a skinhead in a gang? Like, when you when you come together, what are you guys trying to eliminate, and do you, do you literally talk about that? Is, is it all about the violence and eliminating, you know, another race that's out there? It is very much 100% about the violence. Uh, the violence is basically what holds skinheads together. Um, there's no saying you can't get, you can't get a bunch of skinheads together without a riot breaking out. It's very true. Um, skinheads are powder cakes, each and every one of them. And, um, yeah, to join these gangs, you generally have to do some pretty, uh, pretty horrific things or be witness to some very horrific things even be considered part of these gangs. And, uh, I was an enforcer. Okay. So I, um, I was a guy they called when they wanted somebody else, um, beat up. Hmm. So you literally, when you have your club meetings, um, that is what the topic is, is to, to control people through your violence and to, you know, make people basically shut them up by your violence. Pretty much. Um, that was a lot of the topics of meetings. 
was uh, how to deal with um, different gangs, um, different um, different people within the community, um, and then of course we talked about uh, we build our rules within the gang structure, of course, and this and that. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of it was based around violence. So to make you, uh, you know, to for people to be frightened of you, is that what leads into? getting the, the tattoos on your face, do you feel like that was a part of, I want people to be afraid of me? Really much so. Um, the tattoos on the face were definitely a uh, intimidation tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was the main objective, was to make sure people were scared to death of me and veered away from me. Um, again, I didn't want anybody close at all. I, I was enforcer. Violence was my, was uh, what I woke up with and what I went to bed with every night, so... It was just what I portrayed on the outside. And was there a time when you would look at yourself in the mirror with all these tattoos and just have a sadness of this is who I am now, this is who I've become? Or were you okay in your skin? I was never okay in my skin. Um, the, main, the main objective was that I didn't, hate, I didn't hate all the other cultures or ethnic groups out there. I didn't hate them at all. I didn't know anything about them to hate them. I hated myself, mm. and to to just to deal with that, I I just projected it outwardly, and so I hated everyone else, and just grew violent. So yeah, I was never comfortable in my own skin. Never. Um, that was just a part of it, I guess. And you know what? That is so interesting to hear because you you see people that are so tough that it will go to great lengths, like even like what you did to put those hate tattoos on your face and neck. You look at them and you just um, you can't imagine that the hate comes from inside and that they're not okay with themselves because you you mask so much with that. And um, I want to know, Penny, I've been talking about this. Okay, so you're in this so you're so deep. How do you start transforming out? What was it? that got your attention, that opened up your heart just a little bit to start seeing that maybe this is not who I am or who I want to be? What started changing from the hate that started opening that up? Well, after I was in it about 10 years or so, I really started letting go of the politics of everything. Um, I pretty much wasn't racist anymore for, for all intents and purposes. I was just I was just a skinhead in these gangs because I really didn't know any other way to be. I, I didn't know that there was a that there was a way out. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know there was a life outside of it. You know, I just I didn't didn't realize it. I never gave myself a chance. So I just I stuck with it, and um, that's that's when the change pretty much started. But for the most part, I drank myself into it. I was when Julie met me. I was actually, I was literally trying to drink myself to death at the time. Um, I was up to about thirty pack a day of mm-hmm. beer and. Uh, yeah, I was. I had already resigned myself to either a uh, you know lifetime in prison or a very very early grave. So I was I was just a fairly miserable creature at the time when I met Julie, and uh, she kind of changed. She changed it for me. Well, can you describe and maybe Julie is where you you kind of tell us when you saw Brian, what did you see? How did you guys first met? And when you see somebody that looks very tough and hardcore on the outside and kind of has that attitude. People, we tend to label people like that, and we and we tend to say they will never change. There is no hope; they will always be that way. And what I love about this story is, God changes even the hardest heart. God is in the business of life transformation, and love is still more powerful than hate. And that's what your story is all about. So, Julie, can you just describe what you saw, in Brian, and kind of 
how you guys met and what the journey there. Well, when Brian and I met, we were both at a, a Klan rally um, down in Kentucky, and um, my uh, three-year-old at the time, she was three, um, went up to him and um, started pulling at him, and she told me he wa- she wanted a picture with him, and uh, he couldn't understand what she was saying, and um, he asked me, and I, and I told him, she wants a picture with you. Is that okay? And, and he said, fine. So I took a picture of, um, of Brian and um, Isabella, and... Um, we talked a little bit after that event, and he seemed really cool. He wasn't like a lot of the people drinking and, you know, at the, you know, at the event and um, trying to pick up on me. He was just cool, just sat there and talked to me. The ultimate bad boy, I guess, right? He was. He, did, he looked, um, you know, his looks didn't intimidate me at all. I mean, he just, I don't know, when I talked to him a little bit, I just, um, I just thought he was cool. So, and I, I guess I've always kind of gone for bad boys. <laughs> so what starts happening here where, like Lisa was saying, Brian, that you get the heart transformation? Well, I, uh, I fell in love with Julie, and um, by falling in love with her, I wanted to provide a good life for her and the kids, so I had to, I had no choice but to find love for myself, and um, that's pretty much what I did. And I, I, one night I went out, to the bar, I got really drunk, got in a huge spike, got my nose broken, and just went home and proposed to Julie out of nowhere. And um, she said yes, which is absolutely insane. But you know, at that point, I realized that it, it was I was, was going to be taking care of her and the kids, so I had I had to wise up. I had to grow up, and I had to find something in myself to love. So I, I searched for that. It took a while, but I found it. <laughs> you know what's interesting is Julie. You were saying that it was your three-year-old daughter that went up to him and wanted a picture with him. Isn't it interesting how children can see through things? Sometimes they don't judge like like we as adults judge. They don't have these preconceived ideas. And sometimes it's through a little child, the innocence of a little child that can just totally melt your heart. Yeah, it is like that. It's um, it's funny because uh, as Brian, you know, uh, came and lived with us and stuff, um, you know, the kids would be out and about and, you know, we'd be having family things going on and we would see as the parents, the people staring and the people pulling their children away and everything else. And the kids were just la da They just didn't see the tattoos, didn't see any of that anymore. You know, they got to know him. And that, that is such a great lesson because so many times we stop at the skin and we stop at the, at the attitude and we don't take the time to get to know the person inside and maybe why that person is responding. Because, like, even, Brian, with your story, it goes back to loss as a 14-year-old boy trying to find your identity, a dad who really wasn't engaged in life, and you're just searching for a place, and that's what leads to this. It's not like you were, that's who you are. It's who you became as a result of your you know, circumstances. And so it's a challenge for, for so many of us to go, we need to keep looking at people and see below and peel back and go, but why? Why did they do this? And then why did they do that? And you can get to the core of the issue and define, because everybody just still wants to be loved. And that's the, that's the basics. We were wired to be loved and to be accepted. Okay, so you guys start the journey now. And, Brian, your heart is kind of opening up a little bit. So there's some cracking in there and that hate. So tell us a little bit how your transformation and, and you've gone through an incredible process of having these tattoos removed that, like Patty Knight said, can't even fathom. And that's in this documentary, Erasing Hate. So start talking about that journey a little bit, if you would. Well, that journey... Started um, the gang I was in at the time. It was a gang that I helped founded. Um, 
they once I, once we joined, I got married. They started at like five. They started getting really upset because I wasn't I wasn't the fuck anymore. I had to be a father. I couldn't go out to the bars every night and beat people up. I couldn't I couldn't be the enforcer anymore because I had to be a dad. I had to put food on the table. I had to work. I you know I had grown up responsibilities to take care of, and they didn't like that. So there was a, there was this mass amount of drama for quite a while, and right before Pearson was born. Um, the president called me up and said, I need to make a choice either between my family or the gang. So I chose my family and I mailed back the patch. And he told me that, you know, they were just going to quietly retire me, blah, 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 go on with my life. And then the death threats started. And uh, they started threatening us almost on a nightly basis. Julie and I had to live on red alert for a number of years. And actually, we still live on red alert for the most part, but we, 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 we've been able to relax a little bit, but we still have to look over our shoulders all the time. But at that time, it was it was constant. I mean, we, I, it wasn't a matter of if they were going to show up to kill everybody. It was just a matter of when. I mean, I knew the guys. I knew what they were capable of. I trained a lot of them. <laughs> they were not capable, you know. So I knew exactly what would have happened. And um, it wouldn't have been just like one or two guys showing up to fight. It would have been eight or nine guys showing up to kill everybody in the house. And we had to, we had to live. We had to live with knowing that there was a pretty much a demise on the horizon. It was just a matter of when. And it it, it, it drove us crazy. And we, we lived with that for a number of years. I mean, there was a number of times when uh, the police actually came and transported our family out of the house and took us to hotel rooms and stuff because the guys had come to town to kill us. You know? They take us out of town and threw us in a hotel for, you know, a weekend or, or so because our lives were in danger. Mm. And, um, you know, it was, it was incredibly scary. And it was... It was stuff that I really wish I didn't have to put the children through. I honestly, that's probably one of my biggest regrets is, you know, having the kids having to suffer through all that. And I mean, we couldn't let them play outside, of, you know, out of fear that somebody would take them or run them over. They, our older teenagers were getting intimidated at school events and things. It was it was an absolute nightmare. And um, that that helped change quite a bit. Well, a few years of that went by, and Julie finally reached out to. Uh, anti-racist uh, um, leader named Daryl Lamont Jenkins. He runs a, a, a website and a group called the One People's Project. And um, he was at Public Enemy Number 1 for me for a lot of years. And uh, Julie reached out to him and talked to him, and I finally basically grew the cojones to talk to him myself. Brian, and we're going to come right one of my best friends now. We have to go into a commercial break. Stay tuned with us. We'll be right back. Thanks, Brian. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinball. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Togginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. 
For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonbenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on DougieNet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a bug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. If you are joining our conversation today, and if you're like us, you are hearing some pretty amazing real-life experiences that... Many of us can't even begin to wrap our hearts and our minds around. And as we end into our commercial break, Brian, you were talking about just the realities of living with death threats as you and Julie and the kids are trying to break free from that very violent um, environment and how, Julie, you actually went to an anti-racist group just for help. You were at that point. As we, as we conclude our time together um, in the last few moments, we want to talk about more of breaking free from that to start living and embracing a new identity, the challenges with that, and what that looked like for you guys, and then some advice that you would give other people who are finding themselves trapped in an unhealthy or dysfunctional environment. So that was a lot said right there <laughs> for you to unpack, but why don't you just talk about, um, just let's just start off with, okay, You've gone to going, I need help here. We can't keep living this way. We need some other help. So kind of go there. Okay. I was thinking Julie was going to take over. Oh. <laughs> we left <laughs> the, um, after that. <laughs> I mean, initially it was her idea to, uh, to go the route of talking to, uh, to Daryl from uh, One People's Project, the anti-racist, uh, anti-racist guy. It was initially her idea. I, I was... If I remember correctly, I think I was against it. But, um, you know, once I actually talked to the guy, we, him and I actually hit it off, and he's one of my best friends to this day. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I realized that this black man from uh, Philadelphia, I had a lot more in common with him than I did with the guys I called my brothers for so many years. And um, our first conversation, we talked for about three hours about music, and um, we just kind of found a, uh, a common ground there, and then and I... And then we progressed into the politics and us getting out of gang and this and that. 
And uh, he told me to talk to this other um, ex-fan, I think, T.J. Leiden, who uh, was also, he was also a Hammerstein, which was a gang I was in. And he got out of it 10 years. He, he got out of it, I think, the same year I actually got into it. It was back in 91. So I, I basically cyber-stalked him on MySpace for a couple weeks, and finally he, uh, he allowed me to... Uh, She was rushing me. Anyway, he was in contact with the Southern Poverty Law Center, which they internationally found a private donor to uh, remove the tattoos from my face to pay for the pay for the treatment. Now, at, uh, one at the time, point, my heart was changed, but I got to look in the mirror every day and see this creature that I create. So, yeah. At one point, Julie, in reading um, some of the documentary. You had talked about that you were so concerned because Brian was even considering ordering some type of acid to put on his face to deteriorate the skin, to, to basically peel it off. And that that is a desperate call for, for help. So that's amazing that you're able to find this guy that could help you in, in truly removing and erasing these tattoos. Yeah, when... Um I don't know. One thing with Brian that I did differently and I realized is um, from past failed relationships is you go into it and you don't try to change anybody mm-hmm. and you just support them. And that's what I did with Brian and everything we went through. You know, I just supported him. And even though the idea of him doing the acid was just terrifying, you know, I I just I tried uh, being there as much as I can, but on the sidelines, I'm looking for another alternative, you know. And uh, we got lucky when the Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, approached us, and then they said, you know, we found a donor to do this removal professionally. So it was a relief. It was a, definitely a blessing. I love that, Julie, how you said from past relationships, you realized you cannot change people. Right. And you really do have to rely on Jesus and have the Holy Spirit do the work. You can't go in there and and try to do it for them. That had to be very difficult for you as well. And tell us a little bit more how you, you found this, this gentle, gentleman and how it, it came about to, I mean, that's an expensive Procedure. 25 different procedures yes. over two years. That's, right. that's quite a commitment also. Yeah, when we started doing that, I mean, they they had uh, they found the surgeon. They wanted him to have the best surgeon, which they they did find at uh, Vanderbilt University, uh, Dr. Shack. And the donor had offered a, a specific amount of money, and they made the agreement with him. And then when the you know procedure started, I mean, it was. When, when that first treatment, we had no idea what to expect. I mean, the doctor could warn you all day long, but then when you see it, it's it's frightening. You know, when you see the blisters and the swelling and the bruising. And, um, you know, he just kept moving forward with it. And then all of a sudden, we were done. You know, I mean, it was so many changes in his physical and then so many changes we went through spiritually you know we didn't you know god was with us this whole transition transformation that we went through getting out of the move and everything else and it's not till you know maybe a year ago if that that we said wow he had to have hand his, had his hand in this otherwise we wouldn't have survived it you know and we became christians and when like me and brian first got together he was practicing a completely different religion that is against Christianity. So the transformation's just been amazing. Well, we want to hear a little bit more about that, that spiritual transformation. How did you find Jesus? Now, Julie, did you already have a relationship with Christ or is this something that when you were married, you guys both 
um, discovered Christ? Um, well, when I, when I was younger, I had actually, when I was 12, went to a Carmen concert and been saved at 12, but never really had any direction and went through my teen years just just really rebellious and, you know, no Christianity really involved. And then in my 20s, I, I got involved in Christianity and started going to church. And, you know, I got really involved with the church. And when I met the person who got me involved in the movement, he pretty much forced it out of me, beat it out of me, you know, <laughs> literally, no, seriously, literally beat it out of me. There was no talking Christianity. So I finally gave in and um, stopped thinking about Christianity. I tried not to, but I caught myself in, in my moments of solitude. I would find myself praying and trying to pray to the gods he tried getting me to pray to. And, you know, wow. I, and I still was like, it was my secret passion is, is Jesus, you know? Mm. So I never forced the Christianity into Brian. I mean, it just happened again to both of us. I mean, it was amazing. It was the same time we both took that walk and gave our lives. Well, and Brian, I mean, going back to having it beat out of you, I'm sure that it, were you able to talk about it at all with any of your gang members or was that absolutely you you can't even go there? In my gang, yeah, it was, you can't even go there. And at that time, I wasn't Christian. So I was I was on I was on board uh, Odinism, which is a yeah, uh, uh, no, the Northern European um like old Viking religion, I guess per se. Um, I was that was what I was worshiping, and at the time I was felt kind of empty. I never felt spiritually um, fulfilled. So, but I just I went along with it because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Julie said, we ended up just one day we went to a church out in Tennessee. My our fa- my father in law's church, Julie's dad's. And I would say the Holy Spirit just kind of kicked us in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) He has a way of doing that, you know. (laughs) When you least expect it. (laughs) Well, and what is so cool about your story, it truly is a story of hope and healing and transformation. And so many times people even will say, you have no idea what I've done. I'm not worthy of God. God can't change my heart. And you guys are the living example that God can change any heart, no matter how hardened it has become in this world, that God's love is so much more powerful than, than the, uh, the, the tug of hate. And you're living that. But it's not always easy when we choose love and we allow God to permeate our being. So can you, if someone's listening out there, or they know somebody that is, that is trapped in an abusive lifestyle, maybe it's, maybe it's not as extreme as the skinhead culture, but maybe it's even in a relationship or an environment and they desire to get out, but they don't have maybe support or resources, don't know where to begin. What kind of advice would you give somebody today like that? Oh, I don't know. For me, I'd have to say that, um, you know, there's always a desire. There's always a desire to um, have a better life. And, um, you know, if it's something you want, you you know, you, you'll find it. Um, a lot of prayers, a lot of learning, you know, about yourself you know, I have, uh, it, it doesn't matter, like, to me, it's it, it's everyone's personal experience with Christ. It has nothing to do with, okay, you're more Christian than you, or you're not Christian, or you don't believe, you know what I mean? It's just a respect for individuals and a desire to want more out of life, because life is short, you know, and to do better for yourself. Well, and one of the things that I that we're kind of walking away from, one of many things, is just to realize 
the power of love and that love never fails. And it goes back to just allowing God to transform and to not give up on people. And, right. and praying is so significant. Praying for others when you see maybe their hearts hearten and maybe they're not in that place ready to. But Julie, I bet your dad was praying for you guys. And there were prayers that you had no idea that people were praying for you guys. And so it's not just an isolated event, but it is truly a community of believers coming around and believing in the power of, of Jesus. One thing we want to ask you a question as we, as we go um, leave the show with two minutes left. How do you want to be remembered? Me or Brian? Both of you. <laughs> Go ahead, Bri. I would like to be remembered as a good father mm. when I pass. That's, that's my biggest thing. I want you to be the dad I never had. And that's how I want to be remembered as a good father. Mm-hmm. How about you, Julie? You know, I'd like, to, I'd like to be remembered as a person who is always open for an ear and someone who just loved with all our heart. Mm. Well, you guys have definitely inspired us and so many others um, just to en- embrace love. And and even though there's consequences, because so many of us will never have death threats because we've changed uh, our, our lifestyle or changed our thinking like you guys have had, but you've persevered and you've had a co-community come around you of love. Mm-hmm. And so we just appreciate you guys and what you've done. Is there anything, as we have less than a minute, that you want to say as, as we end our time. And again, we want to thank you. And if you want to find out more about Brian and Julie and their documentary, Erasing Hate, you can go to our website at girlfriendit.com and we have all the information there. We can even have a dialogue going on our Girlfriendit Facebook. So we want to, we want to keep your, your words alive, but what is something in 30 seconds? <laughs> well, you know what, Brian, actually in 30 seconds, if you could look at your son to, to help him, um, what would be one thing that you would tell your son? Don't lose hope in yourself would probably be the biggest thing. Um, keep, keep yourself hope alive. Keep yourself love alive. Because once you let go of that, you are destined for to run into a brick wall. <laughs> and I say give a hug <laughs> to the black sheep of the family because it's that black sheep that strays. I love that. Thank you so much, you guys. So give a hug to the black sheep of the family, and we'll talk to you again on GirlfriendIt.com. You can find out more information. See you next week. Thank you for being a part of this special program, GirlfriendIt, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show designed.